If you have your Bibles and want to open to Acts chapter 4, we're going to look there today. Uh, in Reader's Digest, there's a story about a soldier, Corporal Jones. And after his tour of duty overseas, he went stateside to an induction center, and he was advising new recruits, uh, new recruits about their government benefits, especially their GI insurance. And it didn't take long for him to have <clears throat> the best sales record, not, not just in his area, but in the nation. Almost 100% sales record. Well, his officials in the chain of command were amazed, but rather than ask him how he did it, one of the officers sat in the back of the room one day and listened to his sales pitch. And so Jones would explain to these new recruits the basics of the GI insurance. And he said, if you have GI insurance and you go into battle and you are killed, the government pays $35,000 to your beneficiaries. If you don't have GI insurance and go into battle and are killed, the government only has to pay a maximum of $3,000. And he said, now which bunch do you think they're going to send into battle first? <laughs> it's motivation, isn't it? We all need some motivation from time to time. And this morning, I want to begin this series uh, called Extend Your Reach. See, our, our first call, our, our marching orders as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, are really quite simple. They're very clear. I, we've, we've heard them many times. They were Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Right? Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what we're called to do, right? It's not just what your preacher is called to do. It's not just what the leaders of the church are called to do. It's what we, as believers in Christ, who have been baptized in him and given our life to him, that's what we are called to do. We're called to spread the good news. We're called to, to tell the story, to tell our story, to evangelize, how, however we want to put it. But I know sometimes when we begin talking about it, people can freeze and they can kind of freak out and that, that's not me and I can't do that and I'm, I'm not sure. And, and so I want us to think about some ways that we can reach out to other people, to our, our neighbors, our, our family, our friends, or reach out to them without passing out, without freaking out. See, God created us to be in community. Community with him and with one another. And one of the great things that we do in community is we encourage one another. Years ago in the colonial era of this country, there were wealthy ladies and they were very proud of their wide board oak floors. And so at least once a week, the servants would wet rub and dry rub these floors and make them very shiny. It was a pretty simple task. It involved taking a wet mop and going along the grain of the wood and then taking a dry mop along the grain of the wood. But sometimes careless workers would mop across the grain and it would leave these streaks and when that happened, the lady of the house, she would scold the servant for rubbing the floor the wrong way. It's where we get our phrase, to rub someone the wrong way. This morning, though, I want to talk about how do we rub people the right way. And I think there's one surefire, foolproof, guaranteed way we can do that. 
And it's something that works at any time, any place, for almost anyone, and it's through encouragement. It's something we need, isn't it? I know it's something I need. I'm I'm sure it's something you need, is to be encouraged. Because human nature today is so quick to tear down rather than build up. And for every one word of encouragement we get, we get ten words of discouragement. I love the old saying, write your criticisms in dust and your compliments in marble. And yet so often we do the opposite, don't we? And the truth is, we all have our detractors. We all are discouragers. We all get discouraged in life, and we need to be encouraged. And really, I don't know of any place more important than in the home and in the churches that we need that. Don't ever underestimate the importance of the mutual support that we give and get from one another when we give encouragement and when we receive it. I read the other day about the human spine. And when, Julie can probably attest to this, when the spine is supported by all the surrounding muscles and ligaments and tendons, it can be used as this mighty lever and manipulates our body into lifting heavy objects. But when the spine loses the support of this tissue and this muscle, it'll buckle under a load of just five pounds. If you take an isolated spine from a corpse and put no more than five pounds of pressure on it, it will just completely collapse. Well, likewise, without the encouragement of other people, we quickly collapse and crumble and break under the loads of criticism that come our way. So this morning, I just want us to to study the life of the man who, who I believe started and headed the Encouragers Hall of Fame. My guess was he was everyone's best friend. May have been one of the most popular Christians in the early church. And hopefully as we study his life and we look at him, we can learn how do we become encouragers that allow us to extend our reach to others. And it begins by being a person who can bring blessings to other people. Uh, Look with me at our scripture, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. See, if I told you this morning we were going to study about a man named Joseph, you'd be like, okay, Tim, which one? Right? I mean, there's Joseph, the father of Jesus, and there's Joseph of Arimathea, and there's Joseph, the coat of many colors, and there's a lot of Josephs in Scripture, but... But I'm sure when I say we're going to look at the life of Barnabas, most of you know exactly who I'm talking about. His name was Joseph, but the early church gave him this nickname, Barnabas, literally means son of encouragement. In fact, the Greek word for encouragement is this word paraclete, and it's used to describe the Holy Spirit. It literally means one called to come alongside for help. That was Barnabas. Barnabas was the minister of encouragement. And one of those things we see about Barnabas that was so encouraging, here we see he put his money where his mouth was. See, Scripture says he sold this field and he gave the money to apostles. Right, if you go back just a couple chapters, we read about this revival that broke out on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem and and thousands of people gave their lives to Christ and became followers of Jesus. 
And many of them actually stayed behind because they wanted to continue and receive instruction and they wanted to be in fellowship with other believers and wanted to grow in the Lord. So they didn't go back home. They, they stayed there. And so that put their backs financially up against the wall because now they weren't home. They weren't working. They weren't earning incomes. And so Barnabas, being the encourager that he was, he took a valuable piece of property and he sold it and he gave it to the apostles so that they could help meet the needs of these people. That's what an encourager does. They see a need and they say, well, I'm going to give what I can. I'm going to do what I can so that I can help meet their need. But now don't get the idea that to be an encourager, you, you, have, to, you have to be rich in money. You, you don't. Because every one of us has something that we can give to others as a gift of encouragement. I mean, for example, sick people, they don't need our money. They, they need words of concern and time. Right? Lonely people, they, they don't need our money. They need, they, they need moments of our time and our attention. Hurting people, they, they don't need our money. They just need a, a hand on the shoulder and a comforting word. Discouraged people, they, they don't need money. They just need a word of hope. Mark Twain once said, I can live two months on one good compliment. That's what so many people need. One of the greatest coaches in my mind of all time is John Wooden. He coached the UCLA basketball team, and they won 11 national championships in 13 years. But he understood Mark Twain's philosophy. And so he would tell his players, whenever you make a basket, the player that scored the basket was required to smile or wink or nod or point to the player that passed him the ball. And he gave these instructions year after year. And finally, during one team, one kid said, well, but coach, what if he's not looking? And he said, oh, don't worry. He'll be looking. And he was right. Every one of us need encouragement. Every one of us need that affirmation. And an encourager is such a selfless person. He's always looking out to see, how can I bless somebody else? How can I help somebody else? And we see this trait in Barnabas over and over again. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, he's at the church in Antioch, and it says this. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. A couple chapters later, still in this same city, we read this in Acts 14. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, he said. See, he was in Antioch. Antioch was this very wealthy, magnificent city. It was the third greatest city in all of the world after Rome and Alexandria. It was very cultured, very wealthy, but also very wicked. A city filled with idolatry and heathenism. But the Holy Spirit began to move in this city and Gentiles come to know Christ in this city. And, and so reports began to filter to Jerusalem about the revival going on and the apostles thought, well, we need to go and check this out. And so they send Barnabas to go. And Barnabas went and he encouraged these men and women in their faith and to share the Lord. And, and it says in Acts 11, a great many people were added to the Lord because of that. And Barnabas here, he, he could have, in fact, become the, 
the, you know, the evangelist in chief, and he could have kept the situation to himself and been the top dog, but, but he's such an encourager. And he realized that he couldn't handle this by himself. He, he needed some help, someone who, whose gifts that had gifts that he didn't have, and he remembered this Hebrew scholar named Paul. And he knew about his education and his ability to teach and preach. And so he brought him along. And what was more important to, to Barnabas than the notoriety or the fame that he would have received was the welfare of those believers in Christ. It allowed him to put the spotlight on Paul and him to step back. And he was willing to do that because he was an encourager, because he had one desire to bring blessings to other people. We also need to be a person who breaks down barriers for other people. Acts 9, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. See, at this point, uh, Paul had just actually met Christ on the Damascus Road, and, and he basically began to, to go underground, to grow in the Lord, and, and let the Lord continue to work in his life. And, and now he's back, and he's back in Jerusalem. And word got out, and word got out that Saul was back, public enemy number one to the church. At that time, the church considered Saul the most dangerous man in the world, and nobody talked to him. In message translates verse 26 this way. It said, back in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't trust him one bit. And then Barnabas took him under his wing. See, that, that verb tense indicates that Paul was trying time and time and time again to get into the church to, to win the acceptance of his brothers. But, but they put these barriers up and they put these walls up and Paul couldn't penetrate them. Everybody shut the door on him. James, the brother of Jesus, wanted nothing to do with him. Peter had the keys of the kingdom, but kept the doors locked. John, the apostle of love, said, I'll love everyone except Saul. But verse 27 says, but Barnabas. What, what amazing words. Barnabas, the consolation kid, the minister of encouragement, and that's the mark of a true encourager. He champions for the underdog. He jumps on the bandwagon when everyone's jumping off and walks into your house when the whole world is just left. And notice how he did it. Listen to verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul and on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. See, notice what he did. He didn't bring up his past. He never alluded to his mistakes. He never said, look, look, I get it. He was a murderer. He was a blasphemer. I know he just tried to destroy the church. I, I know he tried to put many of you and your family in prison. But Barnabas didn't do that. He was an encourager. And encouragers don't look at the past. They look at the, the future. Barnabas wasn't saying, look what Paul, Saul did. He's saying, look what he can do. Don't look at him for what he was. Look at him for what he will be. And see, I'll tell you this for a reason, because sometimes if we're not careful, we, we try and attempt to encourage people, and we do it in a way that actually discourages. 
there was a little boy who, after his church service, he went up to his preacher, and he said, Pastor, when I grow up, I'm going to be a doctor, and I'm going to make lots of money, and I'm going to give a lot of it to you. And the, the pastor was like, wow, well, that's, that's really nice and kind of you, but can I ask, why, why would you do that? He said, well, my daddy said you're the poorest preacher in the world. See, I've noticed something that happens. You know, whenever we hear someone and they're putting themselves down and they're, they're tearing themselves down, they're usually, what they're doing is asking us to build them up. But I think so often we just don't pick up on it. We just don't get it. But we, we, we as the church, we, we as followers of Jesus, we need to pick up on it. So let me encourage you to be encouragers to others. I mean, people that come into your life and people that come into this church, they need to find us building bridges and tearing down barriers. That, that's what encouragers do. See, we need to be people that build bridges for other people. Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. See, we need to be one who builds bridges for others. See, there was this strong disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and they were concerning a young man named John Mark, and, and what happened is they had gone on a missionary journey before, and for some reason Mark got discouraged, and he went home. He might have gotten homesick, he might have, something happened, and he, and he left, and he quit. And, and it's because of that that Paul, you know, he said, I'm done with him. I can't trust him anymore. I don't know what to do with him. But Barnabas couldn't do that. Again, he didn't focus on Mark's problems. He focused on his potential. That's the big difference. Encouragers will see your potential, where discouragers see the problems. And Barnabas believed in Mark so much that, that he actually parted company with Paul to take John Mark with him. And you know, I really found that interesting this week because Barnabas didn't quit on Paul when so many others in the church wanted to. And now he's not going to quit on Mark. You know, there are a lot of people today that I, I think might suffer from the Charlie Brown complex. You know Charlie Brown, right? Couldn't do anything right. If you read in enough of the Peanuts comic strips, you get that. But I think that the biggest problem was Lucy was all around. And Lucy always made sure that he didn't do anything right, and, and he knew that. There was one cartoon, Lucy puts her hands on her hips after Charlie Brown made a mistake, and she said, you know, Charlie Brown, you're the foul ball in the line drive of life. Line drive of life. You're in the shadow of your own goalpost. You're a miscue. You're three putts on the 18th green. You're a 7-10 split in the 10th frame. You're a dropped rod and reel in the lake of life. 
You're the missed free throw, the shank nine iron, the call third strike. Do you understand? Have you ever had a Lucy in your life? I know I have. See, you know what John Mark needed? He didn't need a Lucy. He needed a bridge builder. He needed someone that would come to him with a word of encouragement. Someone that, that believed in him and that trusted in him. That was Barnabas. Barnabas did that. Years ago, there was a movie called Stand and Deliver. And it was a story of Jamie Escalante. He was this high school English teacher. And in one of his classes, there were two boys named Johnny. And one was a bright student, a joy to teach, and the other uh, wasted his talents, and he bucked authority and refused to learn. At the first parent-teacher conference meeting, Johnny's mother came and, and asked for a report on her son. And, and Jamie said, Johnny is such a joy to have in class. I'm so glad he's one of my students. Well, the next day, this rebellious, rambunctious Johnny walked in the classroom with a smile on his face and a new attitude. And he went to his teacher and he said, my mom told me what you said about me last night and I want you to know I've never had a teacher believe in me or even like me. And he said, I'm going to do everything I can to be your best student. And he was. But what Johnny didn't know was Mr. Escalante thought he was talking to the other Johnny's mother. His comments weren't meant for that, Johnny, but it, the results were unbelievable. One encouraging word, spoken at the right moment, at the right time, for the right person, and it can change their lives. That, that's what encouragement does for us. I mean, think about what would have happened if Barnabas had not encouraged Saul of Tarsus. Think about if he would have walked away from him like everyone else. How would that have changed history? How would that have changed our Bible? Or what about John Mark? Imagine if, if he would have been like, you know what, Paul, I think you're right. We need to leave John Mark to the side. You know, John Mark is the Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. If Barnabas would have quit on him, we may not have that Gospel it's important that we become encouragers. One, one last story. There was a little boy whose dad died when he was five years old. He dropped out of school in sixth grade. When he was 17, he had now lost job after job after job. He got married at 18, uh, had a baby at 19, and separated from his wife at 20. He became a railroad conductor but got fired. He joined the army but washed out. He became a farmer and lost his shirt. Applied to law school and was turned down. Became an insurance salesman and couldn't give it away. Finally, he became a dishwasher and a cook in this little two-bit restaurant. One thing he was able to do was finally reconnect and persuade his wife to come back to him. And so together, they made a living working in this restaurant as a cook and doing dishes. Well, he retired at 65 years old, and he went to the mailbox to get his first Social Security check, a grand total of $105. And he got so discouraged, he was going to take his life. So he went under this tree and began to write out his last will and testament. But his wife found out, and she went out to him and confronted him. And she said, let me tell you what you can do better than anyone else that I've ever known. She said, you can cook. He said, you think so? 
And she said, well, yes, you're fabulous. You're the best cook I've ever had. So it gave him an idea, and he went down to the bank, and he borrowed $87 against his Social Security check. And he went to the grocery store, and he bought some chicken and boxes and fried it with this special recipe he developed on his own. And he put in these boxes and went door-to-door in Corbin, Kentucky, selling chicken. And became so popular, he had the idea, let's sell these in restaurants. Well, he got turned down 1,014 times. I don't know about you, but that's about 1,013 times more than I would have tried. But finally, a man, John Y. Brown, tasted the chicken, and he said, yeah, I'll go in business with you. His name was Colonel Harlan Sanders, founder of KFC. See, what was the secret there? I mean, same man, same recipe, same ability, same chicken. The big difference is the word of encouragement. So yeah, if we as followers of Christ want to rub people the right way, every chance we get, we can bring blessings to others and tear down those barriers and build those bridges. We need to encourage them. And the amazing thing we'll find is that as we encourage others, we're usually encouraged in the process. This morning, as we close, my, my question is, are you extending your reach to other people? Are you a Barnabas? Are you an encourager? Maybe this morning, you need to take that first step in surrendering your life to Christ and following his word and being an encourager after him. If that's what you need, I invite you.